You're listening to DraftKings Network. People in Boston in this area, if we find out that we're pissing somebody off with something we're doing, we're going to do it 10 times more. I feel like he there, he says a lot because he doesn't care what you think. And I, I respect and appreciate that. People just, like, get so... This is not something to get your pants, pants in a bunch <laughs> about, you know, I, I just think like we can disagree on certain things. And I know, like, I don't know, I just every time he riles up the stats community with a statement like this, he's doing that on purpose. And I find it humor in that. Welcome back to Too Many Men. We are without our dear host, Allison, today. So it is also the day after Halloween. So please excuse our one brain cell combined. We are trying our best without Allison, and we appreciate Allison. Shayna, how are you? How was your Halloween? I'm good. It was good. I spent four seconds on my own costume, which was fine because I perfected uh, my boyfriend and his friends. I made them these uh, custom jackets. I like made a stencil and literally painted them jackets so no one knew who they were except for like two other people who care about wrestling. So all that work for a very small pop, but it was good. (laughs) How was yours? Well, I know our boy Eric Young listens to the pod. What were they as related to wrestling? They were the tag team FTR, and one of our friends shaved his beard. I don't think any of us have seen his chin in 10 years, (laughs) and he had a full mustache. And, like, Rich shaved half a mullet into his head, and his hair is just too short for it. But they tried, and they had, like, three wrestling belts each, and they wanted an entrance. So I walked in with a speaker with their theme song, awkwardly walking in so they could have an entrance. But, like... Only two other people care about wrestling and knew who they were. So it was like a little lukewarm. Everyone's like, who are you? And they're like, you should know. (laughs) I'm sure they enjoyed themselves, though. That's all that matters. I was the nurse from the Blink-182 costume. My costume was the nurse from the Blink-182 cover. Um, People kept coming up to me and being like, do you have an IV? And I forgot I was that nurse. I was like, are you okay? Is everybody okay? (laughs) Like, are people getting drugged? Then I was like, oh, I am a nurse. So don't do that. (laughs) Anyway, we have a lot of news to catch up on from the NHL, and we will start off with a bit of news, folks. Breaking news. Sound the alarms. Call an ambulance because Vancouver has back-to-back wins after starting the season 0-5-2. They're against the Kraken and the Penguins, and this comes after they made two trades. They got Jack Stetnicka from the Bruins and Ethan Bear from the Canes. Shayna, what are your thoughts on Vancouver finally breaking the losing streak? The season's back on. Who knew? It's a miracle. It's like, I think the trade for Bear is really good for them because they their personnel just like wasn't there. And as even if they played like everyone at their ceilings, which is asking for a lot from guys like Tucker Pullman, like... It just wasn't going to be enough, so this helps. But I just, they can't let these two wins go to their heads. Like, it's not, they're not there yet. But there are some, like, good takeaways. Like, the Kraken game, JT Miller actually was good in the dying moments of a game and didn't play the world's worst defense. He blocked a shot and I thought was going to, like, injure his ankle, but luckily didn't. So maybe they're trending in the right direction, but (laughs) it's not their upcoming month is not easy and the end of the month is going to be like a total gauntlet so it's like you need to bank every point you can because you're gonna have a very hard time coming by them later yeah the Ethan Bear thing people forget that I he may have had long COVID when he was with the Canes and after he came back it's just like what he was 
off to a really good start. And then once he got COVID and tried to come back, it was slow. And I asked him at the end of the year, do you think you had long COVID? He was like, I don't know. It was really hard to get back. I'm not sure. But I, I think he may have recovered from that and will surprise people. So I just think it wasn't like, oh, he's a bust forever now. Like, I, I'd like to see what he does here, especially where he'd get more time on ice. He kind of, there was such a stacked defense in Carolina that he didn't really get a chance. And I understand that when they're contending for a cup, but we'll see what happens here. Um, Pierre Lebrun of The Athletic caught up with uh, Canucks executive, Jeremy Rutherford. He's not the GM that, and that he has taken an executive position there. But he said, there's no intention here of dropping a grenade on the whole thing and starting from scratch, which could take several years. This is about attempting to get the team in a better place while staying competitive, which is a challenge. Yeah, that's the age-old challenge uh, that, to me, says Bruce Boudreaux's not in the hot seat. What do you think? Yeah, like, it's funny because this comment, what, like a week earlier, we're like, maybe we'll need to rebuild. And I don't know if he was saying that just to, like, light a fire under his players. I don't think Boudreaux's under the hot seat because it's literally like who are you gonna hire especially if like you're only the only hopes I could see them having would be like a Barry Trotz to be like okay bring in a defensive system to make everyone better than they actually are but I don't even know if that's a perfect fit for them like so who who else would you hire what else would you do at what point do you go maybe we don't have the best constructed team right now like I don't know (laughs) I wonder if the big move on the fly like the retool on the fly move is going to be Bo Horvat, and it's tough because that's your captain, but like you have to look at the contracts and the aging curves and all that, and you look at JT Miller and go, well, you you have one contract that you decided to keep that's going to age poorly. Do you want two that coincide at the same time that in three, four years you're going, oh shit, we have so much like sunken cap into players who aren't playing up to that level? Like it's such a tough call because he's their captain, and do they have a replacement? But I wonder if they think move him sooner and bring a bunch back or. Do they have another piece they could move and then they could afford to balance those contracts like with the Oliver Ekman Larson deal just like sitting there? Like, I don't know how they manage it yet on the fly. You have a lot of great ideas and I don't think you're going to use any of them. They are, <laughs> their, me- their message keeps changing and it's just, I don't expect them to. I, I think they're going to float in no man's land for a while. And like they're, I, I know in LeBron's piece, they said we can't get too excited over two wins, obviously, but it seems like they're taking an exhale now, which they should not. So it'll be interesting to see. Maybe they will get it together, but I didn't expect this team to be great. I expected them to maybe be a fringe bubble playoff team, and maybe they'll still trend to that direction given the conference that they're in. Yeah, I thought the same. Like, this is a team that's going to have to work for the playoffs, but, like, be in the mix. But you just can't get off to that bad of a start. Like, we don't want to, like, overreact and be like, the world's end, even though it probably feels that way in Vancouver because, like, it's very serious there, but, you know, you can't just afford to lose easy points at the beginning of the year and still be in the fold. Instead, you'll be chasing like you were last year. Speaking of overreacting, the Leafs, do they suck? They are 4-4-2, <laughs> which isn't as bad as Vancouver and is not the end of the world, but we have some things to go over. Matthews only has one 5-on-5 five five point all season. Tavares has yet to score a 5-on-5 five five goal through 10 games. Mitch Marner was benched. What are your thoughts? I love it. I love <laughs> all of it. I love all of it. I love the drama around the Leafs. And like the Canadian road trips, like if you go through Western Canada, we know how tough that is because you're getting Calgary and Edmonton. You expect those to be tough matchups. And if you do the California Western road trip, it's the Sharks, the Kings, the Ducks, and it should be a slam dunk. But like, I still think there's something to like traveling across the country and having to play those games. Like it's still not easy, 
but it's everything about it is so dramatic and so overblown and I get why to a point because it's like oh you want to extend Matthews well you want to do it early do you is he gonna do it if this is the way things are going and you know everyone looks at Mitch Marner constantly and gives him shit no matter what seriously I didn't like and there was a quote he was asked something about like how he's managing the pressure and he says like he just tunes out the outside noise and they're like oh what outside noise like the plant the fans the media like they're asking questions nonstop and doing their job, but, like, we have to remember, too, like, what job do you get micromanaged if you have a bad day? Like, if we have a bad day, we hear shit about it, too, but not to the extent of a player. If you're just, like, I don't know, a car salesman and you don't sell any cars that day, is everyone going to be down your throat, like, writing <laughs> 10,000 word think pieces about how you can't handle the pressure of it? Like, it doesn't work that way. He hasn't even been remotely the worst person on the team, if you ask me. And he's always just taking, he has to be a defenseman. He has to, like, they are just managing him so poorly. It just reminds me of Rod Brindamore when I used to talk to him every single day. And he would keep giving Andre Svechnikov opportunities, no matter if Andre made a mistake, as long as he was trying. And that is the type of leadership this team really needs. It's like, okay, they're rein- what, what sucks is that they are reinforcing the outside news or outside media things when it comes to Marner, the team itself. Okay, bench him. Okay, they're showing him, yeah, we agree with all these people that hate you. Like, I, I think we're too far gone with Marner at this point. I want them to trade him so bad. They never will, but I just like hate it for him. I think he could be so much better if he was in an environment that actually knew what to do with him. I want him to be coached by Rod Brindamore so much. Rod is the perfect amount of feisty and like a, a player's coach where he will, as long as you're trying, you get to make these mistakes. He has to make mistakes to be to produce at the level that they're expecting him to produce. And they're trying to take, make him take a step backwards and play defense. And it's just like very frustrating to watch when, I don't know. I know Tavares himself takes accountability for the things that he does and he doesn't, but I don't think enough fires under him right now. I don't think enough fires under Matthews. It's just like Mitch Marner, Mitch Marner, Mitch Marner. It's just very frustrating to me. And it makes me wonder if Sheldon Keefe is or should be on the hot seat. What do you think? Yeah, like with Marner, I think a lot of the mistakes get like amplified and you have to have the puck to lose the puck. And I feel like everyone forgets that. Like you'll look at like giveaways as like a raw thing. And I'm sure, you know, a fourth liner is not going to have the giveaways he does, but like he might not have the puck like nearly as much. And Toronto, like as much as they outpossess their opponents, like they do have to finish their chances. And there's something to that. Like it's, it's a skill and they have finishing talent, but like guys like Tavares need, you know, to find the back of the net a little bit more. I feel like Nylander is the one guy that consistently produces very quietly under the radar and there should be more fire under Tavares and Matthews too, because Matthews is so good. He could coast and have an above average game that you want to see him kind of take it on himself a little bit more and just be the difference maker that they know he can be. But I don't know if Keith is the answer like, is that the answer you shake it up that way like I I don't know maybe I who do you hire like I now we see like now we're gonna hear should Barry Trotz it's always coming back to Trotz <laughs> should Barry Trotz coach the Leafs and it's like I don't think he's the thing they're missing Barry Trotz teams you need an elite offensive team that is a de- disaster defensively I think the perfect world and then he brings in structure and you find this nice balance in the early years and you thrive And I don't think the Leafs are bad enough defensively for that. It just feels like timely saves and timely goals they're not getting. They're not getting the bounces, and they should eventually. And it's 
they have the skill, but there is a mental aspect that I think they need a coach, like you said, like Brindamore, who can manage the personalities a little bit better too and bring in that will over skill bullshit that I would normally would roll my <laughs> eyes at. But it's there's something to it that they just feels like they're missing. And I don't think the answer is bring more grit into the lineup. They've done that. They brought in Felino before. They brought in Simmons. They've had grittier guys. It's not the answer alone. It, it just, there needs to be someone who can find a way to push the right buttons for everybody. I'm also... I can't decide if we're overreacting about their start or if we aren't. I mean, I think the two overtime losses make it way worse. I I just feel like it's not that bad, though. But I don't know. I've seen worse from teams that have pulled it together and have been better. And I said that before, too. How's Matt Murray doing? Is he still? I don't know his injury status. I know. (laughs) Seems so so has been okay, though. I know. I know. He has been. I think that's... We got to look at the what's actually going on instead of I, I feel like until twenty until Thanksgiving, as they say, right? You yeah. should look at kind of what's happening on the ice instead of the scoreboard. But it is very concerning that the top players have not been performing, and then they're reacting to it in the same old ways with benching Mitch Marner. Like he can't do it all. Just want to give that kid a hug. In <laughs> happier news, Mullet Arena is fucking bumping. I got the most FOMO of my life. I'm like, how can I do a story where I get there? There's the fans. I, I, what I love, I do want to point out, um, per Mark, Mark Lazarus, who was there, uh, Coyotes president Xavier Gutierrez said there will be 200 to 400 tickets set aside for Arizona State students priced at $25. They'll sit in the usual student section. There will also be a drumline adding to collegiate atmosphere. That was before the game, of course. And there's only 4,600 seats. So that's kind of a, not an insignificant amount of people. Then everybody there got a little mullet hat. Um, I I read a story by Greg Wyshynski, and he just kind of was talking about the player's perspective. Cole Perfetti said, the ice was great. It was unbelievable, even for warm-ups, because everything's so small. And that's how it is at college hockey. I got my Penn State hockey um, (laughs) thing on right now. But the ice was great. It was unbelievable. Coming from LA last night, where the ice, well, it wasn't the best. We were fighting the puck a bit, but the ice was great. The boards were great. It was awesome. And Blake Wheeler said, I played in front of 10,000. All in all, it was made out to be much worse than it was. As long as you got a spot to put your gear on and talk about the game, it really is a beautiful college hockey rink. I've played in worse arenas, that's for sure. So what do you make of all this? I think, okay, I think the locker rooms are a bad look. Sure. I think the away locker rooms are a bad look, but we know they're temporary, so I don't give a shit yet. Like, They didn't want to have them go on that crazy long road trip like the Islanders did last year. So that's why you're here for four games and you have to deal with it. Um, In the home locker room, is it pretty? No, but like go talk to women's hockey players and see what they deal with all the time. I don't give a shit that the men have crappy conditions for that. It's not the most important aspect of it. It's the fan experience and the ice quality, I think, are like the top. Well, ice quality is number one. And then, you know, the fan experience, too. And the ice they said is amazing. That's what you want to hear. You know, Arizona notoriously has had bad ice because, you know, there are numerous arenas that they had the wrong piping or it just wasn't done up to the standard it should have been or the weather or it wasn't up, like the upkeep wasn't great. So if they can maintain that standard, that's, that's amazing. What else do you want? Like there were some wrinkles game one, you know, the goal horn didn't go off immediately for the first two goals. The music was too low, but they figured it out you know, and that's a bump that they got through. And I think it seemed cool. The vibes are good. People are howling and having a good time. I personally, if I'm a player, I'm not, but you know, I would think (laughs) if I had a 5,000 seat arena, that's like popping versus a 20,000 
you know, seat arena that has 10,000 fans and is kind of quiet and everyone's spaced out, like, you know what you want and you can have fun with the college atmosphere 100%, like lean into it. Why wouldn't you if you have that, you know, that chance to and anyone can go, oh, it's Bush League. Who fucking cares? Like, it's not like the environment of NHL games are that incredible anywhere. <laughs> like, it's not the college experience. It's not the European experience. Like, if the NHL can take notes from either one and figure out a way to bring that to their games, it's a good thing. And if the Coyotes are killing it this way, like, if I'm them, I honestly reconsider what the next arena looks like. Maybe they are better suited to a 15 or 10,000 seat arena or like something that's like, you know, 12,000, but then there's all club areas. So it has that intimate vibe that might be better suited to them. Like you keep the operating costs lower so your profits can remain higher and tickets are a little bit more in demand. And you also look better with the full arena and the players get a better experience out of it. Yeah, and I don't want to like pump it up too much because it is objectively embarrassing, but it's not really the Coyotes or their fans' fault in any capacity. It's kind of something the NHL and Gary Bettman have done, and this is the consequence. But the fans and the Coyotes are making the absolute best out of it, and I want to commend them for that. And another important point is the location, right? Like more actual Coyotes fans can enjoy it. In Weish's story, he had a fan saying, it would take me an hour to get to Glendale. I rode my bike here. So that's something that's being overlooked too. It's like the fans can actually get to the games. And I think there's going to be, I'd rather see a sellout of 4,600 than everybody making attendance jokes every single day when they've stopped being funny for years in yeah, an empty it's, arena. It's so tired, the attendance jokes, but like when you hear it with the Panthers or the Islanders or anything like that like not everybody is in a position where they can afford the games you know hockey games are not cheap and not everybody's in a position where they can spend that much time driving to and from an arena for 41 home games and in the coyotes case when the team's not very good like that's the biggest thing working against them if they had a little bit more going on i think that there would be a little more enthusiasm if they were like a very good team which like obviously they're not and yeah, I just, I don't think it's fair to, like, shit on the players. I, you can talk about ownership and how they screwed up and the league, but the players do deserve better. So it's been two games. We can only say so much. And, like, the situation, uh, you know, at, on the whole is not great. But if they can find a way to, like, make the best of it and enjoy an arena that does look super nice, I mean, I'm, I'm all for it. Try to have a different experience and maybe they can learn something from this to improve the experience everywhere else. 100%. Shayna, did you hear that your favorite team, the New Jersey Devils, are first in the Metro Division right now? It's it's something. <laughs> it's they have it's, turned around a bad start, and there's still some bad things that we'll get into. But they are five three. They just pumped CBJ seven to one. They've had kind of bad opponents, but it's like too early to tell or to judge people too hard on that. Uh, they're leading the league with a 68.2% expected goals rate, which is seven percentage points better than second place Carolina. Their 72.7% high danger chance rate is 11 points better than the Canes, who are in second as well. Do you like my fancy stats? I I was just, I was like, where is this coming from? <laughs> are you nerd? It's, it's amazing. They, they're amazing at five on five right now. And like you said, it's not like they have the greatest opponents ever, but like I... I, there's still something to it because last year it was a different story. Like every year the Devils have a great off season and this year like their off season was kind of lukewarm to what it could have been, which was like the Johnny Gaudreau's, the Billy Husso's, like big goaltenders swinging for John Gibson. They got Vanacek. They got Palat. They didn't, you know, make as big of a splash, but they addressed every position and it's working out for them. But it, 
there's like a couple things. Like one, I don't think it was the right call to have Blackwood kind of be the starter. I don't care his preseason was good. I would have given Vanacek a little bit more rope early. They were not getting timely saves and things very easily spiral. But their attitude changed. It was the game against the Islanders that they were like, you know what? We're just not going to let him face a shot. We're going to control play. And if he doesn't face any shots, he'll be fine. And that's what they're trying to do. They've definitely improved defensively. There's fewer breakdowns. The offense is there. And like at points last year, especially after the holiday pause when everyone like, you know, got healthy, like they were good below the surface. It was goaltending. So now you're seeing like Jack Hughes a year later, Nico Heischer a year later, Dougie Hamilton bounce back in a huge way. And now you have the addition of someone like John Marino, who I think was one of the best additions they could have had. And Siegenthaler still doing, you know, well to be like stability on the back end. They're in a better position to succeed. It's just, can they get the timely saves, which they're starting to, and that's what their season hinges on. And can they finish their chances, which they weren't doing, but like, that's something that generally, if you're not doing, will kind of like balance itself out and looks like it's finally starting to. Yeah, shout out to Vanacek and shout out to our girl, Amanda Stein. I was talking to, she's the uh, team reporter of the Devils. And I was talking to her at the beginning of the season, like, what should I keep my eye out for with the Devils? She goes, watch out for Vanacek. He's looked really good. I'm I'm impressed so far. And he is edging out Blackwood right now with a 0.903 save percentage. And Blackwood's is 0.871. I mean, the team is really good despite that. And they just need to stay above point nine zero zero i i think like we're not asking for miracles i think both of them need to stay above point nine zero zero and let the offense be offense and they'll be fine yeah and it's you know it's on the core play the the jack hughes of the league who like he's incredible if he can stay healthy like he's a game changer it's jesper bratt who's he was amazing last year probably their most valuable player and he's just jumped in this year his goals are great. The shot generation is great. The defensive stability is great. And his passing is, like, incredible. And then Nico Hishier doesn't get talked enough about how good he is on both mm-hmm. ends of the ice. So, like, it's exciting. But all of that's well and good. But it's Dougie Hamilton. Like, you covered Dougie. Like, what is he at his <laughs> best? Like, we saw him last year. He was hurt. He played through injury. Then he took time off because he was too hurt to play. And everything was a mess. Like, if he's at his best, what does he look like? Yeah, he at his best, he's not caring what you think about him and he's having fun like you'll notice he I know he has a weird reputation but like he'll be such a good team player and has a lot of fun with his teammates at his best at his worst he's a little more like quiet and you can tell but he'll he'll mess with people in a good way like with his little banana phone or like messing with people in the media when he's in a or, but you're asking about on the ice I don't care about the ice I'm just kidding no that's important <laughs> look that is we look at New Jersey and last year and how easily things get it's the same shit as like Vancouver this year like how easy is it for a team to spiral and how do you keep the vibes up which is why everybody wanted Lindy Ruff to get fired and you know it definitely helps that they brought in two new assistant coaches they kept him which was controversial but you bring in Andrew Brunette to tweak the offensive systems in the power play like that's a big difference if you are playing well the vibes are definitely better and you need it to be guys like Dougie Hamilton on one of the youngest teams in the league to like you know keep everyone up it might be weird, but I could tell he was going to have a good season or at least like is in the middle of a good stretch when he did the high grandma thing on TV. And I was like, okay, he is feeling good. And that's what it's all about, you know? So happy for him. Doesn't surprise me. Go off, Dougie. Now we have to train. Tra- oh my God. God bless Allison for these Seriously. transitions, people. I'm like, how can I sound cool? Anyway, transitions to our shit list. 
Jake Ottinger, you are not on the shit list, but the process of what happened to you is on the shit list. It is a shame that he has a lower body injury and will be reevaluated in a week. But the Dallas Stars goalie, after going 5-1-0 with a .952 save percentage, has a lower body injury. And he pulled himself out in the second period on Saturday over the weekend. And GM Neil said it's unlikely that Ottinger goes on the upcoming road trip. So in... Response to that, due to the cap, the Stars cannot recall Anton Kadobin. It will be someone else that comes up to the NHL. I just think, I'm so sick of the cap ceiling. Like, what are we doing? We cannot play. This is not fair fighting. You can't bring up an NHL goalie after an injury. I have one friend who used to play in the NHL, and I will not use his name, but he is an NHL goalie, and he just said, he keeps texting me about this, like, three goalie rotation idea where you can have three goalies on the NHL roster at all times. And that's, that's a must. I'm like that, or that should be essential. And I'm like, I totally agree because this just doesn't like the rules are so vestigial with the cap right now. Your thoughts. Yeah. Like even if you could have like a taxi squad, that's one position player. Like you get, you can't, it doesn't matter. You need one forward, one defenseman, one goalie. That's it. They get paid. You could have a cap on what they're offered. It can't be you have an $8 million forward in the reserves, but you have a forward, maybe it's like the average third line pay is what you can have for that forward. And the goalie, like some sort of system that they could like figure out because injuries happen and it sucks to see teams lose. And you could say, well, then the stars should have managed their cap better and they should have been prepared in case someone went down with injury. But how do you prepare for that? What if it's someone on an entry-level deal that goes out with injury? That's that's easy to, you know, manage. Or what if it's someone who makes $10 million and you're like, oh, shit. Then we have no... You can't project who's going to get hurt, who isn't going to get hurt. You give yourself as much wiggle room as you can, but there still needs to be something else besides just the long-term injury reserve system that your player has to be out for that long. And maybe there do need... To be like harsh consequences like you can spend x amount of dollars if a player is simply on ir without being on long long-term ir but when they're healthy you have to make cuts like there's a way to figure this out i'm sure but it sucks a team can't be as competitive because they don't have the cap and what are their options then they go well we can go with a different goalie who's not going to be as good and not as trusted when we know we have three goalies that's our strength we chose not to make a move here to keep the three and we can't even use that third right now or do you force Ottinger back in because you need these points like it doesn't make enough sense like I think that's going to just turn to more players playing through injury because they don't want their team to be at a disadvantage because oops tonight you have to run with four defensemen because you have injuries like that sucks. And it sucks in general that it's Ottinger after, you know, I think he saved like nine goals above expected to be like towards the league lead, you know, with guys like Carter Hart and Sorokin. So it's really unfortunate for him, but it shouldn't be like any sort of weird situation that they're at a disadvantage other than the fact that he's hurt. That's a disadvantage enough. It shouldn't be the cap making it worse. So speaking of team injuries, can we talk about the Capitals who are maybe the most broken team in the league? Like they're definitely, this is definitely tracked somewhere, but they were already without Tom Wilson and Nick Backstrom to start the season. Then they lost Connor Brown to injury. Now, John Carlson's day-to-day and TJ Oshie's out indefinitely. And it feels like maybe we put too much attention on the Bruins and the Penguins this year. Like, can they be good with their old cores and things like that? Their aging stars, their injuries, all this kind of stuff. 
Um, but the Capitals just keep getting one older, two more hurt. So it's like going to be a lot for them to overcome. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I, I thought they were going to be better than the Penguins and I'm very, very wrong about, I mean, very, very wrong. It's a little dramatic. They're five, four. Um, I, I do think the injuries are piling up and I expect, I mean, Ovechkin has four goals, three assists, seven points in nine games. That's not bad. I did kind of expect him to do a little bit more right now. He's a minus seven too. So I think defensively the injuries are piling up and that is very much a struggle for this team right now. Um, they, the last thing they needed was more injuries anyway, headed into the season without Tom Wilson. Um, they're getting like suspensions. I just don't, it seems like the wheels are falling off. I would like to see Kemper have a good season. So hopefully they can turn that around and I want Ovechkin to break the records, but we will Keep an eye out on them for absolutely sure. Yeah, I want I want to see Kemper have a good year too. I feel like he got so much shit last year for no reason. But like, if we look at the Metro, like Columbus is eighth. That's not really surprising. The Flyers are third. We expect them to drop off, obviously. And like, we kind of know where their play is heading. Um, but like the Capitals, like their competition, it's going to, you know, the Canes are a lock. The Rangers are a lock. The Penguins will probably do it. It's teams like the Devils and even the Islanders who... Started out pretty shittily, like <laughs> shittily, shittily. <laughs> like they they started the year like their defensive structure wasn't there, and they were allowing a lot more against, and then they just didn't generate much for. And it looks like it, they kind of turned it around with their game against the Rangers, which is like very unsurprising. But this is a team that just came back from being down three to one to the Avalanche, who they both teams were on the second half of back to back. But like that's super impressive, and they have one of the best goalies in the league. So that paired with like. The Devils five on five play thriving like it's it's a lot of competition that maybe the Capitals didn't see coming maybe they did um but it does remind me since the Flyers I mentioned uh we saw the Tortorella analytics are trash <laughs> quote and it's like this is a very pro towards podcast and we're doing this without our torts resident Allison Can so but it's amazing how everyone jumped at that quote. Besides, like, I like how it's Charlie and Allison pump, uh, Charlie O'Connor, um, who covers the Flyers for the Athletic, and Allison pumping the brakes on it, too. Because, yes, he coaches with the eye test, but this is a coach, and you should read Allison's breakdown from when he was in Columbus of the numbers they use, of how he likes to track scoring chances, and how much, like, Bradshaw, his assistant coach, has a puck tracking sheet. Like, that's all analytics. But if you ask Tortorella what's an analytic, he's going to tell you he hates it. But he also knows the team's not playing as well. It's goaltending. He doesn't think this way is sustainable. He's not saying, keep playing the way you're playing and we'll be fine. It's, we have to stick to the process and the results will come eventually. And it's a longer term thing versus this nice hot streak. That's someone who has ideas past just the eye test and he has something back, you know, he understands what's going on. There's a little more nuance to their start to the season, but instead everyone jumps at the idea that analytics are trash because he had a, he had a quote. There's more to it. You need to like look past just the one line quote. I'll say me and Torts come from the same area in Boston and we like to, people in Boston in this area, if we find out that we're pissing somebody off with something we're doing, we're going to do it 10 times more. I feel like he there, he says a lot because he doesn't care what you think. And I I respect and appreciate that. People just like get so, this is not something to get your pants, pants and a bunch <laughs> about, you know, I, I just think like we can disagree on certain things. And I know, like, I don't know, I just every time he riles up 
the stats community with a statement like this. He's doing that on purpose. And I find the humor in that. Yeah, I appreciate it. I don't care what quote he, it's not like data is going to dry up because he has a fucking quote out there. Like go off towards, say whatever you want. Like we all, we don't all know because people don't care to know, but like if you want to look below the surface and look at the internal torts numbers, like they exist, they're there. There is there is like a method to it. It's just a one line quote. It's the same as to the flyers of anything redeemable, redeemable about them. No, we take it at face value. And we're like, all right. <laughs> they do have something redeemable about them. And it has made our FMK this week with a twist. So what we are doing in Leo of Allison is we have had a, ta- a vote on the top three stars of the month, the Too Many Men official top three stars of the month, and now we will FMK them based on whatever we want to base it on. So Jesper Bratt has four goals, 11 assists, 15 points, and a plus six in nine games played. He is leading the charge for the Devils right now, and I think that deserves some credit. We've also got David Pasternak, who goes without saying what he's doing. Seven goals, 10 assists, 17 points in a plus four in nine games. And he's just making it look easy, which is so pasta. And of course, Karahat. He has five wins, zero losses, one overtime loss, a .938 save percentage, .231 goals against. And we love that for him. He is... It's been up and down for him in Philadelphia. So maybe Torts is getting to him in a good way. What do we think? Okay, I'm going to let you go first with your FMK. Okay, I am going to kill Hart. I don't think it's sustainable. Um, I don't think it's going to last. And it's not his fault the team around him is bad. I think what he's doing right now is amazing and he deserves a lot of credit for it. But I feel like we've seen the hot start from him before and then things go to shit because the team's a wreck. I think what's going to happen in Philly is the goaltending gets worse but the team around him is going to start getting better with the process and they'll meet in the middle somewhere. So while I think his October is nice, I think everyone else's October is nicer. <laughs> so fine, I will kill that. I'm going to fuck Bratz October. I think he is so good and so underrated. I think people finally started to learn who he was a little bit last year when he was like the devil's most consistent two-way player. Um, like we talked about him already today, like he's so good at everything he does. He's great in transition, which is why he doesn't need to play with Jack Hughes. You know, he can carry his own line, but there's that consistency that you know is good. So when you want, a, you know, a quickie, it's like, you know, you can go to him. That's great. Wonderful. Um, I will marry David Poshnok. I love his game. I think it's so much fun that he's doing this on a different line from Bergeron 2 for two straight years because I feel like everyone kind of doubted what he could do on his own and he's showing it and then you get him on the power play, which is loaded with talent and he's even better. There's the flair to it as well that I just appreciate so much from him. And I think this year was a huge year to start knowing all the Bruins injuries and he's just like, I'm going to take my game up a level, not just like the contract year vibes, but the team needed him to be the superstar that he could be, and he absolutely has been. So his shot's incredible, and he's a better passer than I think we talk about sometimes, and I love him and Krejci, like, reunited. So everything about Pasternak's skill and the flair, I'll take that every day of the week. Yeah, around these parts, we're calling Pasternak, Zaka, and Krejci the check mix. 
So <laughs> shout out to that. Uh, I will also, Marianne, I hate to do the same thing as you. I'm, I am going to switch it up a bit. But I'm marrying Pasternak, not just because of everything you said, but also he's in a contract year. And I've seen so many guys through. It's so much pressure. And I've seen guys underperform and stress themselves out and whatever. But Pasternak just keeps going. Just keep, like He's so talented. And he's, in recent years, has been able to mix the talent with kind of like this attitude that has been so beneficial to the Bruins and has kept them kind of alive through their aging core. Like I know the core, I I say it's aging too. They're performing well too, but the injuries kind of pile up sometimes. The Bergeron, will he, won't he return thing happened. And Pasternak's been a constant despite how young he is. I also think I was talking to Jim Montgomery, the Bruins head coach, and I was like, what have you learned about Pasternak? Like, you've seen him play, but what have you learned about him as a person since you've got here? He's just like, I know how good he is as a player, but I didn't expect him to be so loud and jumping up and down the bench and talking to all, hyping all his teammates up. That's something I didn't really expect either. Like, you usually see a Jordan Martinook or somebody like that or, like, hyping other people up. So it's kind of cool to see the star player doing something like that. It's a nice little tidbit there. Um, good for me for getting that. I'm just kidding. I'm gonna <laughs> fuck Carter Hart. I love this. I think I think it's somewhat sustainable, honestly. I do think he has had such potential and he's so young and it, like deserves a little time and space to live up to that potential. It is tough with a pretty bad team, <laughs> to be honest. But I do think they're trying to bolster their defense up recently. Ugh. We'll see. I mean, I like that at least he's giving this type of performance. He's not done yet and not giving up on himself. I like that. I'm going to kill Brat kind of because of process of elimination. I do love that he's going off to the extent that he is on the Devils. I love the Devils pulling themselves together like this, but it is just kind of process of elimination. And the other two, to me, are performing better in the month of October, but check back in the end of November. Yeah, this is fun. We can definitely do this at the end of every month. And if we have anyone on Seattle, we'll just automatically marry them for Allison. Like, we can't put her in a tough position. We'll, we'll try to avoid cracking players unless they're that amazing, that they're like the slam dunk. We don't want Allison choosing against anyone. Yeah, so we're just going to have them not be good at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the solution. Or we can all they're, marry them. They're the, what's like, another, instead of us, they're the sun of the month. They're not the star. They're the sun. There you go. They're the moon. Well, everybody, that wraps up another edition of Too Many Men. Thank you for staying with us in our combined one brain cell as Allison was traveling today in her cool job with the Kraken. So thanks, everybody. Um, Rate and subscribe. Maybe not today. Maybe next time when Allison's back. Um, Or do it out of pity today if you want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give us a little pity. Or give us a subscribe. Tell us how much you love Allison. How much it made you realize. It's Allison Appreciation Day. Thanks for listening. We love you. Bye.